and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg. I'm recording from a Comics Journal satellite lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and working to test the ideal comics interview. On this podcast, we ask a different cartoonist the same ten questions with each installment, and Mari Naomi is our guest this time around. Mari is the cartoonist behind the books Kiss and Tell and Dragon's Breath, as well as this year's graphic memoir, Turning Japanese, one of my favorite books of 2016. That book follows Mari through her early 20s as she works in hostess bars in San Jose and Tokyo. It's full of insights about heritage, relationships, culture, generation gaps, and more, along with surprises and great cartooning. And it's not even her only release this year. Coming September 21st, you can pick up another graphic memoir, I Thought You Hated Me, from Retrofit. 2016, this is a terrible year by a lot of measures, but with two books by Mari Naomi arriving, it can't be all bad. If this is your first time listening to Comic Book Decalogue and you like what you hear, we have more episodes on the way, including an interview with Anders Nilsson, and more than a year's worth of episodes available for download on iTunes. You can find those in the iTunes feed of our sister podcast, Mike Dawson's TCJ Talkies. Now, I said earlier that this podcast asks different cartoonists the same ten questions, and that's true. But something can be the same for a while and then change and be the same in a different way. I say that because this episode marks the retirement of the much-loved Garfield question. You will be hearing an entirely new final question at the end of this interview with Mari. But before that, I hope you'll join me in giving it a fond farewell. And a one, two, three... You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, but you can change one aspect of the strip. What do you change? Garfield. Mondays, lasagna. I'd really need to, like, sit with it and meditate on it. All of the words are gibberish. There's nothing but, like, strange phrases or a completely unreadable gobbledygook. I think I would change Garfield's gender. Mm-hmm. I think I would make him a woman. I would probably get rid of the human in it, because John has always been the problem for me. Can I say it's a trick question? It's perfect. (laughs) I like Garfield. It's pretty bad. I think the jokes could be better, but I think the setup is really strong. Take out Garfield, of course. (laughs) I know that's not original. (laughs) <laughs> but Garfield without Garfield is one of the great creations. <laughs> yeah, it has to be done. I 
I would probably end up just making, like, doing some bad, cheap Bojack Horseman Garfield ripoff. I'd just be constantly being like, is this too much like Bojack Horseman? Garfield is a homeless cat. He's, he, he loses all his, his, his privilege since he's not a spoiled cat. <laughs> he has to face real life and face other starving cats. I really loved Heathcliff. Everyone's gay. I think I would just do that, and then you'd have a lot more, I don't know. Then maybe it would be good. I would change nothing, because if I'm correct, it makes a lot of money. I would make it, I would make it so overloaded with text. I would make it the most inaccessible <laughs> comic. I would, I would just fill it with text and like, like make it like a Jablonski or Charles Crumb comic to where the text is completely unreadable and like, uh, it's, it has mass, it has, it's circulating in, in millions of printed newspapers, but it's just completely, <laughs> the artwork stays the same. But the text is unreadable and confounding and very, very small. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to our guests. And up now, 10 questions with Mari Naomi. Mari Naomi. This Hello. is Comic Book Decalogue, where we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. You can already hear my affect changing, which I can't help <laughs> trying. <laughs> Our first question is, what's the last comic you finished reading? Finished? Um, I just read, I reread Mardu's Sky and Stereo graphic novel the other night, and I'd read possibly all of it in zine form before, but that, yeah, just a couple nights ago. It's really good. Really good. Really good reread. And I'm going to cheat on this question too a bit, uh, because right next to you, you, you have open uh, the Fantagraphics collection of Jaime Hernandez's The Love Bunglers. We were talking about it briefly before the recording began. And you, you have an ambivalence about Love and Rockets? Well, I'm enjoying this book very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I have avoided reading Love and Rockets for, you know, the 20-something the years that I've been reading comics. I don't know. Especially more. It's, it's very... There's a lot of it to get mm -hmm. through. And... But more... It's like so many of my friends um, who make comics and love comics so much just were giving me a hard time for never reading Love and Rockets, so I thought I should do it. Um, and I and I tried reading Maggie the Mechanic, and I just couldn't get into it. 
but Rob said that he had the love bunglers here and I could read it if I wanted to and that I might like it more and so far I do a lot more. Mm. This is Rob Kirby, another contributor to the Comics Journal and a Minneapolis We are currently in his dungeon right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I imagine the Maggie the Mechanic collection, uh, it's where I started and it's at once, you know, the most intuitive place to start but there is, you know, several issues worth of of sci-fi pastiche that looks great, but you know you don't get, I think, the very best of that strip right at the beginning. I mean, should I skip ahead? I, I've kind of pretty much given up on that book. Um, sorry, Fernandez. <laughs> sorry, but I mean, the, the art is so beautiful, and I would sit there, and I would, I would, to be honest, I would, I would be reading it on my uh, uh, not elliptical trainer, a uh, stationary bicycle. So I'm kind of, you know, it's hard to read small text when you're mm-hmm. sweating. <laughs> so maybe it was not the best chance to do that, but you know that, that's when I have time to read. Um, so it was kind of distracting. It was hard to read all that text, and and I just I I just wasn't that compelled by the subject matter yet. But I really I really wanted to see the things that my peers had seen. So, mm. but but this again, what I'm reading now is it's much more compelling for me. I'm so I I, I am not making any judgments yet because I don't want anyone to judge me by stuff that I've done 20 years ago because that I mean their stuff is so much better than what I was doing 20 years ago now with the love bunglers in particular do you feel like you can I don't want to use the word feel again but since the weight of the character history in that story even if there are you know volumes in between no no, but I don't, I'm not going into it without. I know that mm-hmm. there are volumes, but I feel like if you're creating a fictional character, every like whether or not you write about it beforehand, like you know their history, so they should have volumes of volumes. You know whether or not that's published, mm-hmm. like a, a writer should know their characters and everything about them. Um, there should be no mystery to the writer. So maybe those, that all works in their favor because they develop these characters. But I don't need to see all mm-hmm. that. <laughs> If I become obsessed with the characters later, if, if after this book I'm, as you said, crying and, you know, and, and really moved by it, you know, maybe that'll make me investigate more on the older stuff. Although considering what already happened, that's probably not going to happen. I'll probably just keep an eye out for more in the future because mm-hmm. I like where they are at this point. But, and our second question, question number two, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Um, that's an easy one, um, for me because, well, Christopher Adams, who did Strong Eye Contact for, um, which is a book by, that 2D Cloud put out, I I feel like not enough people know about that book, and it's, there was a period where I just felt really dark about comics, where I thought they just weren't going anywhere, where I thought, oh, these people are, um, so many people are getting into comics, getting really good and then leaving comics because, you know, obvious reasons, many, many reasons why people leave comics, you know, and, and so no one would really, people would get good enough, but then they wouldn't really explore the boundaries that, mm-hmm. or the lack of boundaries that comics have. And, um, and I was talking to Rain, um, Rain Hogan, the publisher at 2D Cloud and, and kind of complaining about this and, and just feeling just sad about the industry in general. And then he's like, well, let me send you some books. And he sent me a bunch and, and that one just really, I, I, I'm really, um, I get 
I get into narratives and, um, and more than art books. And this this book is both an art book and has a strong narrative mm-hmm. and is completely wordless, um, which is very difficult to do. I've tried it. Most people have tried it, and it's it, it's it's so difficult, even with words, to get across what you're saying. Um, but this guy just did such a good job. He's he made comics in a way that I've never seen them made before, and it gave me hope for the future. And I just it it renewed my faith in comics. And so whenever I am sitting at a two D cloud table or anywhere near one, I'm always trying to push his books onto people because um, it's, it's incredible. But it's also very challenging. It's not. It's not super easy to follow because it's so unconventional, and I think that makes it difficult for people. But I don't know. It's good to be challenged. It's it's good to find difficult things and get through them because I feel like you'll be all the richer for it. And this is Christopher Adams. Christopher Adams, yeah. And the inverse of that question, number three: What's the most widely loved comic? And you can't name Love and Rockets. That you can't connect with. That has to be the answer. <laughs> that, that really, I mean, there's a lot of comics that people love that I just, I don't really connect with. Mm-hmm. But those, I feel like those are more on a case by case basis. I don't want to name names. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, but there is a popular cartoonist who came out with something in the last couple of years that I, I loved some of their stuff before, and now, I really disliked um something the last thing they came out with and um yeah which which is which confuses me there's really no way to talk about this without names. All right. <laughs> but yes i don't know it's art loving art is so subjective and really it's it's love and rockets to me but you know that hopefully will change by mm-hmm. the end of this book <laughs> yeah, the the stories after love bomb there's a pretty good I think. Are there a lot of stories? Is that not very current? Well, it, I think Love Bunglers dates back to 2011 or 2012. Oh, that's you great. You know, there have been a few years now worth of, of new stories issues after that, uh, which I think have not gotten as much coverage maybe, but I think mm. are also very good. I mean, so far I like it, and I, I and I want to read more. I'm not in love with it yet, though, but we'll see. There's There's still hope. Sorry, Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> and question number four. You can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14. What is that comic? That would be Mary Fleener's comic, The Jelly, which is when I was 22 or 23, the comic that made me want to start making comics. And I feel if I'd seen it at age 14, it would have done the exact same thing mm-hmm. to me, and I would have been that much better at comics by the time <laughs> I am now here. <laughs> <laughs> Ten more years on me. How much had you read in the way of comics before reading the Jelly? Were you a regular comics reader, but not mm. a, you know a certified cartoonist? Would you say or? Well, when I was a kid, I was super into Bloom County and some of the mm-hmm. newspaper comics. Um, I really liked Opus, the Penguin in Bloom County. Mm-hmm. I had a huge crush on him. <laughs> It's a little awkward when he got married in the strip or was about to be. I got very jealous. I didn't read. I've certainly never read superhero comics or anything like that. I didn't pick up comics until I was 19 and I had a boyfriend who was into comics. And I think he was into The Watchmen and stuff like that, which I never got into. Um, But 
when he would go to the comic book stores, I would pick up stuff, and that's when I found underground comics. And yeah, I was probably 19 or 20 at that point, and then I started drawing comics when I was a couple years later, right after the events of turning Japanese, so maybe three years later. Two or three. Those Bloom County comics are great, I think, and sort of fascinating to me in, in as much as I was reading the collections of those when I was maybe 10, 11 years old, which was, uh, you know, the strip had been ended several years before that. And I don't know if it's the, the line work or the pacing or, or, you know, the total package that even though the stories were so current events driven, mm -hmm. they still resonated with me. Even if I didn't know who, um, you know, G. Gordon Liddy was, <laughs> I still I still was able to laugh, at, you know, as a kid at those Bloom County strips. I didn't. I think that was part of the appeal of it to me was I didn't understand a lot of the mm -hmm. humor or not humor but the targets of the humor and it made me curious about it. I didn't always research those things but it felt like this adult world that I was peeking into and I really didn't like childhood so I, I like I was always I couldn't wait to be an adult and I think that was very appealing in that way. Um, they have these beautiful bound collections of all of the Bloom counties now which my husband got me for my birthday mm. a couple of years ago and they're so beautiful but there are these footnotes that explain who who like all these huh. references that people I didn't get as a kid and I probably still wouldn't get because I didn't necessarily you know look back and find out about these people so that's it's really cool that mm -hmm. they did that highly recommend it <laughs> I think that that book is a moment in time content wise in a lot of ways too, I think, you know, just the way it's, is it Bill the Cat? Yeah. Bill the Cat, you know, it's almost like, so, almost violently gross and grimy in a way that you would maybe see on an Adult Swim show today or something, yeah. but not in the newspapers anymore. That's true. I, I feel like most of the newspaper comics were pretty tame. I mean, there was The Far Side and Bloom County and everything else was, you know, Family Circus mm -hmm. and stuff like that, Beetle Bailey, which may have at one point been subversive in some way. I don't know how, but they weren't by the time I was reading them. Hagar the Horrible didn't really... <laughs> You'd probably have to reach to find a critique in Hagar the Horrible. <laughs> Although I, I found some um, Broomhilda, a, a little book of Broomhilda books that I bought for a dollar at the library. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they're so cheesy, but... There was something very charming in the comics, in, in the line work specifically as a cartoonist, that I didn't appreciate when I was a child, and they're they're worth looking back on, even though I didn't particularly care for them at the mm -hmm. time. I feel that way about a lot of '80s music too. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five: What's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? I think a lot of great changes are being made right now particularly in diversifying cre creators. I also kind of worry that that's a fad and will go away. Sort of like how I saw in the 90s for a hot second, it was really, um, really cool to be a lesbian. And, you know, it, it lasted maybe six months to a year where it was all over Time Magazine, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm a little worried that that's going to go away. Um, but I, I would like that, you know, I, I as a reader, I just love to see all voices represented. I mean, it's, it's, I would think it gets boring to see the same old voices again and again. 
as far as what I wish creators would do is get outside of their comfort levels more. Um, but you know, you can't, you can't force that. But I think a lot of people are afraid to try something new. And I think that's what's going to make the industry kind of stagnant. And I feel like it's already happened with movies and other forms of media. So I, I would love to see creators just, just, just stretch their necks out, you know, be vulnerable artistically and storytelling wise and just try new things and not worry about what people are going to think of them. Because I, I feel like there's a lot of self-consciousness in a lot of um, younger cartoonists these days, which comes across in their work, and it prevents th things from connecting with me. So it's all about me, obviously. <laughs> but that's what I want, so. <laughs> and question number six, what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? <laughs> uh... <laughs> hmm. I mean, there was a... Well, when I started, it was just a hobby, and so I wasn't very consistent the first five years of making comics. I think there were a number of years where I didn't put out a zine, and I would just do stuff in anthologies, but I wasn't... I don't know. At that point, I could have put it down or kept going. It, it wasn't that important to me. I don't know. When I did taxes this year and saw how much I made last year, there was there was a moment where I was thinking, God, do I have any other skills that would transfer elsewhere that didn't involve being a storyboarder? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, usually when I when I look at finances, there's there's a little bit. I don't know. I I, I that might just keep me from touring or publishing that might, that wouldn't keep me from making comics though because I just I love that so much and it's such a a release it's still just it feels in, in some ways like a hobby like I do it to relax mm -hmm. so so I'll never quit <laughs> and question number seven what's the best advice you've heard about making comics I don't you know that's a tough one for me because I really hate it when people tell you how to make comics because no two creators have the same techniques. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, none do. You have a conversation about technique with another cartoonist or ten of them. Everyone's so wildly different about what they do. And I think when you try to give people advice, it just... I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily apply to them. I feel like writing advice could be good, which is just write like no one's listening. I think but they're, they're, they're so cliche, you know? I don't know. All advice is awful. Don't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and question number eight. What's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? Hmm. <laughs> My brain's scanning. What's the worst comic I've made? Oh. Are there, the are there books or stories you wish you could uh, strike from your catalog? I mean, there was one comic I made where, when I think in 1998, where I said I didn't like the word feminist, and I would like to take that back. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I don't reprint that for that reason, but that's just because my views have changed. And I was a feminist, is the thing. I just didn't like the word for what other people were putting onto it, but now I'm like, screw those guys. But, oh, man... I've gotten into trouble from making certain comics. The like memoir aspect? Memoir comics specifically where people thought I gave away too much of, it, of their information. 
But I don't say I can't say I regret those things because they taught me pretty valuable lessons about mm. oh well here's where you've gone too far, and if I hadn't gone too far then I wouldn't have that boundary now. I'm not super into regrets, but I don't really like a lot of my early comics also. <laughs> but that I don't know. I no regrets, none. <laughs> Oh, God, that's a good question, though. Wait, I feel like there's a good answer in there somewhere. Regrets. Well, I mean, I've regretted working with certain people before, but then I forget about those regrets, and then I work with them again. I mean, and I don't mean specific people, but people in general. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. when I curate art shows or curate comic shows, they're so stressful, and in the moment, I always... Uh, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, what is the point here? And then, but then afterwards, I'm so excited that I've survived <laughs> it that I'm, but I still think I'll never do this again until a couple years go by. And then I do it again because the pain memory has left mm. me. <laughs> it's just Sisyphus. I <laughs> never learn. <laughs> All right. Question number nine. What work from another medium has influenced you the most? Dear Sugar by Cheryl Strayed. Your uh, former rumpus. Yes, yeah. Well, Colleen. she's the reason I found was interested in the rumpus to begin with. I didn't know she was Cheryl Strayed at the time because mm -hmm. she was anonymous. Yeah, I remember that was a big uh, yeah. build-up. That reveal, I think, because I wanted to out. work for the rumpus. And, well, she already had a book out. She had a fiction book out, and I and she would talk about it in in when she was writing in her advice column and I was so in love with like just her honesty and just how much she put on the table and she always said that she wouldn't stay permanently anonymous too mm -hmm. so I knew that she would eventually have the reveal but what I really wanted to do was read her novel and it was driving me crazy that I was obsessed with this writer but I couldn't and she had a book out and I couldn't read her book so I had this plan that I would write for the rumpus make comics for the rumpus get in good with her, <laughs> she would reveal who she was to me, and I could find out what her book was. By the time I eventually met her, I mean, like, like I, my plan didn't go that way, and she eventually revealed herself. But I'm, I'm really glad that I did stuff for the rumpus. Actually, that's the biggest... Okay, oh, wait, ooh, back to the regrets question. This is the opposite of the regrets. I think mm -hmm. that's the best thing I ever did for my career in comics was to do free comics for the rumpus, and I don't usually tell I, I usually say don't do free free stuff and I usually think that's good advice for car cartoonists however there are some pretty notable exceptions and I and the rumpus has given me so much back in ways that I could have never expected I've met so many great people I've gotten a lot of paying work from it that I, I cannot regret that at all um, but looking back I, there are like my regrets probably would be that I did so many free things and I didn't value my work for a long time and but I mean you can't make someone value their own work <laughs> that's happened over time so retro active <laughs> I should ask on behalf of readers who might not have read uh, Dear Sugar and its heyday uh, how would you describe the appeal or you know the value of that that advice column it was an advice column but really it was just her talking about her life in in ways that I'd never seen done before. Um, 
I've read a lot of memoir, especially mm-hmm. once I once I decided that this is something that I was going to do. I thought, okay, well, I should I should I mean, for one thing, I really enjoy reading about people's lives, and I love being nosy about people's lives, as you noticed. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I just I like talking about relationships. I love hear, you know eavesdropping about relationships. I just love everything about just humans and how they interact. And she would talk with so it, it felt like she was speaking with no filters. Mm-hmm. And that was so appealing. And I just come out with my book, Kiss and Tell, which would, which people were saying, oh, this is so honest. I don't know how you can be so honest or how you can reveal this information. And I think there's a little part of me that's like, oh, yeah, I'm so honest. This is great. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm such a genuine human being. And then I read her stuff and realized, oh, my God, I am not even there yet. Like, I've got so far to go. And there's something about being knocked off your stoop and back into humility that it's, it feels so good because you realize, Oh, I'm not at the end of the road. I've mm-hmm. I got a lot of work to do and, and this is exciting. And I don't know. So, so for example, one of, I mean, it's all available on the internet and anyone listened to listening to this, who's never read Dear Sugar should go find her column immediately. It's also been collected in a book called tiny, beautiful things, which I gift out to people constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, someone would write with, I mean, she, first of all, people write with these really difficult questions that I cannot even imagine how I would advise them. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at advice with relationships. I've been in a lot of them and I've seen a lot of friends to them. So, you know, I, I tend to think I'm pretty good at that, but you, know, she gets some stumpers and, but not only does she answer them in, in just with the most compassion out of anyone I could imagine. Again, I thought I was so compassionate until I read her and I thought, oh gosh, I've got so much to work on with myself. So she she would respond with compassion, but she would also lead with a lot of her life examples. And she, I mean, immediately she's talking about being molested when she was really small, about... But, you know, but she would say it in such beautiful writing detail about, like, having to jack off her grandfather. I mean, just it's really just brutal, gut-punch stuff. The, the first time I read one of her columns, I had a deadline. And I, for the next three days, which is very unlike me, mm-hmm. I just sat there and obsessively read every single column. And I, I, I just, I had to read it all. I had to. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> it, so obviously this, this really affected me a lot. And that was the most recent and probably the most profound influence I've ever had. Mm. And what was it like when you did meet her? Oh, I was such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> I just, she even called me a fangirl. Like it was really, she'd just come out with a book wild and I saw she was doing a signing in San Francisco down the street from me. So I waited in line to meet her and I had, I knew I, I would love her book, um, so I bought six of them for all my friends. And she looks at my book sack and she said, you really are a fangirl. <laughs> and I, I pretty much wanted to die right there. But she's been so so nice and supportive. Like, she's bought books for me before. And I, I was on a panel with her in, uh, in Portland recently, which was just so great. I was probably not very good because I was starry-eyed from being up there like it was her and some other people who I respect a lot and I I think I just was like (laughs) while they were all being brilliant so uh, but I don't know someday I hope to be able to have a conversation with her without tripping over my tongue that would be great Cheryl it'll happen (laughs) someday (laughs) 
She's a regular reader or regular listener of this podcast, I'm sure. So I, I, I bet she heard you. All right, question number 10. Dun, dun, dun. Aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first? We want to make a good impression. Why? <laughs> well, so uh, don't bomb us or something. Yeah. Okay. So maybe um. If the stakes, if the stakes need to be high for you to you to really for them <laughs> to not want to destroy us, maybe something pleasant like Lucy Nisley. Yeah, that's my answer. All right. People seem to like her stuff a lot. <laughs> or Raina Telegemeyer and stuff. Like, just something that makes people happy. And I sure. Think I comics. feel like that puts humanity in a good light. Yeah. Do, you know, which which isn't very accurate, necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Chester Brown can wait, I guess. <laughs> we'll save the R-Crumb for later. <laughs> All right. We can end on that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.